Welcome to Left on Red, the Daily Mountain Eagles political podcast. I'm Jennifer Poron. And I'm Drew Gilbert. And this episode we are dedicating to the April 27th, 2011 tornado. We are. Because I think both of our lives would be very different without that particular day and time. Oh yeah, tremendously. Yeah. So uh, were you in town that day? You so, were still... So I was in town for the first one. Uh, I was in bed. Uh, so at this time in 2011, uh, I had graduated from UNA in 20, 2009, moved home, I moved back home with my parents, and then just, I kind of took like the year, the hippie year of growing my hair out and not caring about things. And then I was uh, turning into a, an adult again, and um, I was in the process of buying my first house, and then um, the tornado came, so I was asleep in my parents' attic when the first one hit, and my mom came up and was like, hey, uh, you might wanna not be in the attic right now. So I went downstairs. So we kind of weathered that one, and I, I, I don't even think even then I really knew the impact, um, because I had to go to work. I was working in Pelham at the time, so I had to be at work at- uh, You didn't know that Carrie's house had been hit? It got hit by the second one. I thought it got hit that morning. Yeah, my sister's got hit by the second one. So the morning one really hit downtown pretty good and uh, kind of rocked the, the middle of Main Street. And then there were a lot of trees and stuff down. Well, there was a tree down at her house because yeah. I couldn't go past her house. Okay. That's why yeah. I'm remembering yeah. that. I, I couldn't that go was, past her house the because the from tree the park, there. One of the big ones from the park was down. Yeah. So I ended up, I, I went to work in Pelham that day. So I had to be there at like 10 a.m. I think was our normal start time. So I'm leaving, uh, leaving town and I see, you know, the disruption in Main Street. And then when I get on, I want to say Cordova Gorgas Road might have been blocked by a tree and I ended up having to go around and go get on, on Cordova Parish uh, Highway to get on the interstate. So I go into Pelham, I'm there all day and then that is really, after that is when it sparked like there was a new tornado every five seconds. You know, that was when the day kind of changed into what it was and um, the company I work for was based out of Phoenix, Arizona and we're making phone calls to leadership like, nobody's gonna come here today like can we all like get out and they're you know the real adverse to closing and we're like i don't i don't think y'all understand what tornadoes are and uh so then we ended up by the time they made a call for us you know you could you could leave you didn't want to leave that you didn't know what was coming from where and when so when the second one hit i was i was in pelham and then i got the call from my dad a very somber voice to kevin which i don't get very often and he he did a very good job. My, my father can be a terrible communicator at times, and he did a fantastic job of leading with everybody's fine. And then, you know, Carrie lost her house. Uh, so I was very proud of my father that day for, um, he has a tendency to tell stories like Quentin Tarantino directs movies. You start at the end, and then you go back and tell the story of how sure. you got there. Uh, pretty terrifying in big moments like that. You don't want to be told stories that way. So he did a really good job. I was proud of him that day. So yeah, I was in the, uh, and that's about as personal gone. as it got for you guys. Like nobody else in the family had, um, no, we like were, damages. you know, we were very fortunate and, and Carrie and Josh and then my nephew Cohen was a newborn at the time. And, uh, he's really, they're really close in age to your, your son, I think Wyatt's right there. Wyatt's birthday was the next day. Yeah, so yeah. Wyatt so was about to be one. Yeah. So they're pretty close. They're within months, months after, of, yeah. of one another. And, uh, fortunately they were over at mom and dad's house, which is, you know, a couple blocks in the good direction away from the tornado. Um, and I mean, that's that's just the story of, of tornadoes in general. You know, Carrie and Josh's house that they lost was, I guess, a 20s era construction. Um, so it has survived that long with, with nothing. And then mom and dad's is, is like a late 1890s mill house. And, mm -hmm. and so you, you really start just kind of 
processing all that data. Like, how long have these houses been here? How many tornadoes have come through? How many weather events have there been? And then this is the one, you know. And then obviously it rocked. Uh, it rocked the family from that perspective, uh, them losing their house, and they were a young family. And that's, that's I, I got to watch the emotional drain on them uh, and through that process and having to pivot their life a little bit. Um, but the, the biggest impact for me was, was the city, you know, and the recovery and what it meant for my career after that. So. Yeah. I remember getting up that morning. It must have been the siren that woke me up, and there was absurd amounts of lightning. Like, it felt like it was yeah. daylight, even though it was so and early in like the morning. this was like the 5 a.m.-ish one. Yeah. Yeah. It was supposed to be dark and it I was, was really sleeping like a log. And the reason that I get confused is because um, so we lost power and why it was, I mean, a day away from being one year old. So I was trying to take him to my parents' house in Benchfield because whenever we lose power, they always have power. Mm -hmm. So I just thought he's scared of the dark. I'll get him to my mother's house. So I tried to go the way I would normally go past Carrie's old house and there was a tree blocking it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that's really bad. So turn around, you know, go up the railroad tracks and everything going to go through town. That's when I see the bricks and that's when I see everything that's yeah. happened. Yeah. And then Zach was going to go to work and then he finds out that his mom and brother lived over there in the Disney Lake area. Their trailer was hit. Uh -huh. That first one completely knocked off its foundation in the first tornado. Um, but we, you know, we get over to my parents' house and I drop off Wyatt and I go around and take pictures. And I think Zach actually went to work at the pig. Mm -hmm. He was working at the Cordova pig. Um, for a little bit, but then I think he went spent and spent some time helping, you know, clean out some things because right. of course Zach's mom and brother didn't stay there; they went to his cousin's house. But um, but yeah, but I remember telling somebody that morning, like downtown's gone mm -hmm. because you just see all the bricks and mm -hmm. like it just felt like L devastation you know. had occurred. Yeah. And yes, I think back on that. I said downtown gone, and I had absolutely no idea what you didn't I was know what talking downtown about. Gone looked like. I didn't know what later. that looked like until later. And so that was the the eeriest the eeriest part of all this for me was coming home that night. So you, at the time, Interstate 22 wasn't all the way open, so you would come Colbert mm -hmm. home. So you're on Colbert, there's no electricity. Colbert got hit pretty hard by the one that hit us. And so you're on this road, traffic is just bumper to bumper. There's a tree in the road. There's literally guys like trying to chainsaw it and move it. And there's also just hundreds of cars trying to navigate around. And we're all having to go to one lane and one at a time. And you can't really see anything because it's dark and there are no street lights. You could feel that it wasn't right. I know that sounds strange, but the shadows from, from, from beside you, the road you drive every day, you know, five days a week to work, it doesn't feel like it's supposed to. So come to find out the next morning, or this would have been two or three days later when I actually went back to work, and you drive through Colbert, there's tractor trailers flipped all over the place. There's buildings just with, with caverns in them and metal ripped back. Couldn't see that coming through there at night, but I could feel it. God, that is that is one of the crazy, to this day, one of the weirdest things I've ever felt. So then you come home, the interstate was pretty clear, pretty easy to drive, was normal. Get to Cordova, and I, I parked uh, my car in somewhere in Benchfield. I, that's as close as I could mm -hmm. get to my parents' house. And so I park and I get out, and I'm just walking through town, and it, it, it was just zombies. Uh, we were all zombies. Nobody, I don't even think anybody's talking really. You're just looking at each other and you're looking at power lines and trees. And same story in downtown Cordova. I didn't get to see it in daylight the first day. I, I feel it. Mm -hmm. You know, your home, the, the trees and the building and the car, things that have been there my entire life in a certain place in a certain way. It's not the case anymore. And then 
make it to my sister's house and uh, the fam some of the family was there kind of rustling around and ended up walking the rest of the way to my parents' house. But that was that is one of the creepiest life experiences and I hope that I ever have just such a weird dynamic that night. Was. That's how we were. It, we, because there was a lot going on in my grandmother's, well, daddy's garage at my grandmother's house got hit. So we actually stayed at my parents' house and mm -hmm. we didn't venture out until later. And then we all of a sudden realized we don't know if our house is okay on the other side yeah. of town. Yeah. So daddy got us out and he got us as close as the um, the medical, uh, the medical yeah. center. Um, and so he parked there and we walked to where we were, but we were sitting around talking to some people and it was dark and you couldn't see. And he saw the pig, which thankfully, because there was no power that morning and they hung around and, you know, allowed people to come in and get a few groceries. But at some point, um, we were told they heard on the TV or the radio, there was one coming and someone came rushing out and said, shut it all down, leave now, yeah. thankfully, because of yeah. what was about to happen at the pig. But we're standing there staring at the pig, and Zach made the comment to somebody, looks like the pig's okay. And they said, no, man. They said, that whole back wall is gone. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the moment that I remember us just standing there, kind of on that hill, That's looking real. out. And it really hit us. Zach doesn't have a job. Yeah. Um, like just all yeah. the things yeah. that, that are about to change. And then we got up the next morning, which was Wyatt's birthday. Had I was supposed to have a little Elmo cake. Right, so like yeah. there was the whole first birthday thing. All of a sudden, Elmo didn't thing. seem that big, right? Um, but we got up and, and Zach and I walked down that morning, early that morning, and I saw things that I'm used to seeing on TV. Yeah. But it was places that you knew, and it was places where you, people lived there that you knew those people. Yeah. And you know the church getting to that church. That was, well, and then and at the time, the, the longhouse seemed to go on. Feeling like, and, and you know, just, a bomb had gone off. Yeah, um, it, yeah. I, I don't think you ever really get over, you know, no. seeing no. the place that you grew up looking like a war zone. Well, even now, so like, obviously we experienced weeks and months of, of a war zone feeling. National Guard at the entrances with your little pass to get to your yep. house, you know we experienced that but then even after that the years after that and now a decade after that it's still you still feel it every day don't you yes every single I've day i've made the comment before i think i even included it in a column that it's always april 27th yeah. in my hometown and yeah. it started to feel less like that over the years but for years for years but there's still something like there that. i mean there yeah. there's not shade at the park that there used to be because right. the, the giant oak trees gone yeah. and uh, there's not the the maybe the opportunity that right. existed on Main Street as you yeah. revitalize it's a heck of a lot easier to do with yeah. brick and mortar already there and and you really realize how much your life is depend like yeah. invested in that town because Zach and I got married on that ball field uh -huh. so you know again thankfully there was no loss of life in term you know Zach's mom and his right. brother was the yeah. one who was hit in terms of loss of property and they of course you know never moved back to Cordova but yeah I mean the ball field where we got married I can never visit that again it's a different mm -hmm. ball field mm -hmm. um, you know a lot of things change with Zach's work you know after so yeah you realize that your life you have so many memories in this town and this mm -hmm. town doesn't exist like that anymore mm -hmm. and never will again yeah you're right so where were we in recovery when you took over in November 2012. So, so I went on the council in July of 2011. Uh, so Mr. Borzelli represented District 3. I mentioned earlier in the conversation that I was in the process of buying my first house then, which was across the street from Mr. Borzelli. And so um, I, I don't know if it was 
mental illness on my part or what, but the only thing I could think about was when that, I knew that seat was coming, I'm going to City Hall. At the time, uh, Sandra Strickland was the council person for our for the district where my parents live. And uh, I went straight to her and said, I want that I want that seat. I want to be on the council. I want to be a part of this. And, uh, you know, I'd always wanted to be a part of whatever the next chapter of Cordova was, but the tornado, like, just ignited it's like it had to happen i gotta be here now i have to be here and so i got on the council in july of 2011 and then you know obviously ran for mayor in 2012 and then took office in november 2012 so the day i walked in uh jack had really executed everything to do with cleanup that was that was done there weren't even bills on the desk for that anymore you know what i mean that that part of the process was completely gone and so i was inheriting um a main street with a fence around it uh, because they were we were working with fema and there was a lot of story there holding that up uh we didn't have a grocery store uh, we had the fire trucks in a temporary place with their trucks outside and a little bit of an office. We had moved the police department at that time into the VFW and then City Hall and Water and Gas were operating out of the armory. So everything had a sense of temporary to it when you walked in day one. Um, and a lot of it to me wasn't even like suitable temporary. I was like, we're not even, <laughs> our, our fire trucks are out, outside. This We're not quite there even from a temporary standpoint. Um, and then obviously, you know that emotional strife because we're we're a, a year and a half later, and we're having to drive around our main street. <laughs> we can't even drive on it. Has a, a, a padlock on either end, and the buildings are still in the state of disrepair that they were on April 27th of 2011. And even worse because we were a couple of fires in by then, right? Uh, so it was pretty dire when I took office, and that that's not really even going into maybe the administrative side of it and the state of our law enforcement and our fleet and our vehicles and things like that. There were a lot of the things that I felt like we needed to do, but in terms of just the tornado and its impact at that point, it was it was pretty jarring day one, I'm gonna be honest with you. And I wasn't naive, like I knew what I was walking into, but it's still, it's just, it's heavy when you actually walk in the door. And you know, obviously I was, I was young and energetic and I had visions and I knew where we were going and how I was going to save the world and uh, it didn't matter. It was still the same big old uh, uh, hunk of, of mess to deal with. And, but you did uh, get a, a big win early on because the groundwork had kind of been laid through the previous administration, which you were yeah. part of, but the grant came through for the grocery store. And that was the first, would you say that was the first like really good thing past you know just moving the debris away that was the first big that was the win first one because that came in december yeah. and and it wasn't mine you know what i mean like i can't walk in a door in november and take credit for a grant application that had been in for months that jack scott was still coming to that office when i took office and still working with leanne and getting paperwork and driving to montgomery that wasn't my win it was the city's win but it sure as heck wasn't mine. Uh, and I made that very clear through the whole process. Jack went with us to the award. We, I drove Jack, like <laughs> we had a mini, I think you were with us, weren't I you? Was. <laughs> we, I we, uh, was. We shuttled up in a minivan to, uh, we got a Hackleburg. Yeah. That was Jack's victory. Obviously the city benefited from it. And obviously I ended up changing ideas of design and how we were gonna put this store together and where, you know, kind of where on the lot we were gonna put it. But that was all Jack's. Um, the first one that I really felt like my style of leadership affected was the demolition of, of downtown. And uh, so that was to remind people, demolition happened in 
April of 2013, mm -hmm. a full two, two years, years later. after. Mm -hmm. Why? Why did it take us two years? So the the biggest part of all that is is the giant bureaucratic organization that FEMA is and was. Um, FEMA's gotten uh, uh, some some black eyes from Katrina up into the tornadoes, and then since then they've seemed to have been more deliberate in their response and, and quicker. Um, but think about some person in Washington that's assigned the case of Cordova and, and paying for the demolition of some buildings downtown. You don't know what that really is. You don't know that there's there's padlocks on either end of Main Street and literally every building in downtown is, is gone and we need to get them down so we can start fresh, right? You don't know that. It's just paperwork and it's, you know, we got to jump through this hoop, this hoop, this hoop, and this is the amount of money attached to it. And we've got this many private uh, buildings involved and people that own them. And, um, they didn't know like emotionally what that was. And I'm gonna tell you who, who let them know was Senator Greg Reed. We were on a call and um, I spoke earlier to, to where I felt like I was really making an impact, it was direct communication, was stating those things. Like, I, I don't know what you have in your file folder, but you know, this is where we are. Uh, but Senator Reed stepped in and what kept happening for us, and, and this comes from uh, Jack into my term, they kept moving the carrot. And so we had a fantastic recovery team on the ground, supported through the Walker Area Community Foundation, and, and Beth Stooks was chairing our, our recovery committee. We were having meetings every week. There were, there were representatives from ADACA driving up from Montgomery for a meeting every week. Uh, Beth was there, a team of volunteers was there, and uh, we weren't playing around. I, I mean, it, we, we, were, uh, we were pretty skilled, and we could get done what you needed done, but if you kept moving what needed done, it was hard to get to a finish line. I noticed this a couple of months in. I was like, there's not an actual finish line. <laughs> like, you know, we're just going to chase this for another decade. So we ended up getting on a conference call, and there were some representatives from FEMA and from the state EMA. Uh, and then luckily for us, Senator Reid had, had jumped on. And he was pretty green then. He was, he was new to the, the Alabama Senate. And um, we go through all this. And basically, and I don't remember what task was given to us, but we had completed it. We were like, here it is. Here's the results. We're done. Where's the check? You know, like let's let's get this thing rolling, and um, they started telling us other things that needed done on the call, and so this is you know this process had been going on for a year with me at this point where you know we're three or four months into me going through this process and. I'm an impatient millennial. I don't really have time for you to keep resetting. Like, we, let's. There's a goal we're all trying to get to. Let's let's get there. And so um, they finished their little. You know, here's your new, 15 tasks to complete for us to, you know, give you 15 more later. And I don't even know what to do. Like I, I'm just, I'm jarred. I'm like, what, what are we even? What is this? Like it, my mind's instantly like, we're about to go round up some good old boys with tractors and bulldozers. We can get this stuff down or see. <laughs> like that's what I'm thinking at this point. I'm like, we don't need them. And honestly, if you got to reset the whole situation, it's probably exactly what we would have done from the beginning. Um, but Senator Reid chimes in. And he very eloquently introduces himself and who he is and the district he represents. And uh, he makes sure to let him know that Cordova is his hometown and is where he grew up. And then he goes into, I, I don't know if he blacked out or what, but it was the most eloquent ripping of people I've ever heard in my life. Like, you know, he doesn't cuss. He doesn't say coarse words. But I felt like he was. He brought some fire. <laughs> like it felt like the, the intensity was there. But he doesn't miss a point. You know, most of us have a tendency when we get fired up and we're emotional like that, we're, we're going to actually miss the target we were aiming for because there's so much emotion involved. This dude didn't. 
he hit every point on the head. He literally was talking about them holding our community hostage and, and like you, you guys don't understand the magnitude of what you're doing to a, a city's recovery. We can't do anything else. Like this is it. And he just rolls through it. He gets done. I, I'm, I might have been crying. I don't know. I, like it was just like this was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my life. Within weeks, we have funding. Within weeks, we had waited. We had waited a year and a half. Within weeks of that phone call. Well, and I would argue also, and this was because I wasn't in on that phone call, but I do remember something else that happened. So the 18 month anniversary rolled around. And I saw a post from Beverly Mosley talking about every single day, having to look out her front it's window tough. and seeing downtown. So we did a big front page article for the 18th month anniversary. We ran a, an aerial photo of the downtown district and uh -huh. how it looked and the fact that this is 18 months ago. Yeah. That article, remember, y'all got a visit from the Associated Press. Sure did. Who they, then we, reached we, out to we the took same, them inside those padlocks. Who yeah. the same people, the historical, uh, you know, society had gotten involved in some things like that. So then, not only are you talking to the local reporter, but you have the Associated Press on the case, and there are visuals now. And so people who weren't aware, as you oh, yeah. said, then all of a sudden it was in their face, and people were asking, "Why does it look like this? 18 months in, and mm -hmm. y'all got to tell that story." Mm -hmm. And so that's how I remember it. That was also going on the conversations behind the scenes, and then you have that public pressure that's starting to be applied, and things start to come together because there was no answer for why other communities yeah. were so far ahead of where Cordova was. There was no good answer to that question that's anymore. Right. And there was, and I don't, if you had to blame one, I'm blaming FEMA, uh, but there's a, there's a combination of factors here. I feel like there wasn't so much direct communication going on from the city government to the state government to the, I don't think we were, I think we were all tiptoeing around each other rather than just, hey, let's hit this thing between the eyes. But another thing, and you and I are very aware of this, um, there is a generation of Cordova that let Cordova just rot. I, I mean, I, I don't mean to be rude, but the Cordova that my grandfather had and even my father had, you and I never got to taste that. It didn't exist anymore. I don't know who to blame, but it happened. And there's a generation that this watched a, it happen. This is a point that I've heard you make many times. People think that the tornado hit a thriving Absolutely. downtown. And it, it did. did not. Our entire lives, Cordova was dying, dying. Hemorrhaging population, hemorrhaging businesses, um, everything around us deteriorating. Our entire life, before the tornadoes, this was happening. So you had a generation of ownership in a lot of those buildings. And let, let put it in perspective, you have... X amount of buildings on Main Street, some of them are city owned and the, most of them are owned by private parties that don't have insurance on them. So a tornado hits them and then we go through all these rights of entry and, and all this federal bureaucracy and all this paperwork to get the federal government to pay to tear your private building down. That was the majority of our Main Street. When you really put this story together, that, that's what was happening. That complicates the transaction. Uh, if you recall, after we awarded the bid uh, and they come in, they had to treat the buildings differently. They had to treat the city buildings differently than the privately owned buildings. It was There were two projects going on there. Um, and it was all of our federal tax dollars at work, not just tearing down city buildings, tearing down buildings that were owned by private individuals that had let their buildings get into states of disrepair to begin with. 
And so there, there were some layers there. So I don't throw the full blame at FEMA. FEMA sure as heck made it tough. And uh, I would tell you that if, if I was the mayor today and a tornado hit Cordova, you know, FEMA can you come on in and bring your bottles of water and your tarps and everything on the front end and help us in the, in the few weeks after. But as far as anything to do with long term, I don't know that I want you. I think we're going to figure this thing out locally. I would use local partners, local people, the community foundation, state agencies, and I might tell FEMA to go kick rocks, you know, so I'm, I'm not letting them off the hook. I just, it wasn't just them. You know, we were in our own way a little bit. Now let's talk about before demo, we had a party downtown. Yeah, we you did. You allowed. Man, the most popular thing I ever did as mayor, and it was way too early but there was a lot of we've already talked about there was so much emotion mm -hmm. and yes we had gone through y'all had gone through all of the hoops and it needed to happen downtown needed to be torn down but this is still people's memories this mm -hmm. is still the last time that you're going to stand on this main street and i respected what that was and you very well could have just started the project i mean mm -hmm. it was dangerous i mean who knows how many lawsuits could have come from that by letting people i didn't in. ask the lawyer's permission but, for that one. but it was necessary i think it was an emotional outlet yep. that that you it, allowed as and this mayor. is and well this is with all of us and this is man we get lost in political noise these days Every leader that was elected, they have some skill set. They have something they're good at. And they've probably got plenty of stuff they're bad at. And in my eight years in Cordova, there are plenty of things I didn't do very well. And there are plenty of things I screwed up and plenty of swings and misses, plenty of things I was just blind to. That wasn't one. That was a hit for me. That was, I understand the magnitude of what this demolition is. And just letting people stand outside the fence and watch the bulldozer hit it felt different to me than, hey, let's open these gates one more time. You know, come through and whatever that means to you, let's do that together. And then we're going to knock them down. You know, we're going to knock them down. What tomorrow. do you remember? I just so. told you what I remember. What do you remember as so, mayor? What do you remember watching that day? Man, I was, I was, a, I was a proud papa that day, let me tell you. Um, just watching folks, watching, God knows, four generations of Cordova, at least. Just walk in a door and look at a building again for the last time, you know, walk down a sidewalk, stand in the middle of Main Street. And so, you know, my grandfather passed away last year. Uh, my brother forwarded me a photo because I guess he was trying to make me cry, but it was me and my granddad standing in the middle of the street. Just what was that, what was that street to him over his life? And then what was it to me to that point? Because I, you know, I don't want to be negative Nancy over here. Yeah, I was watching Cordova crumble, but as a kid, I didn't know that's what I was watching. So it was my version of Cordova, right? It meant a lot to me, rub my bike up and down that street. And then my family, probably one of my favorite family photos that I have to this day is um, me, my parents, my siblings and their spouses. And then me and Ashley, we weren't married at the time, but obviously my wife and the mother of my children now on Glover's Corner. So it's, you know, the, that day was just, just too much, honestly. And then we grilled hot dogs and tried to keep it light and enjoy ourselves. And, I'll tell you what, you know, we go early and we set up. I don't remember, we were opening the gates at like noon or something. So we get down there at 11 o'clock or something on a, it's a Sunday, I believe, because we were starting the demolition on the Monday. We're sitting there and I get the grill set up and we had gone to Sam's and got a bunch of hot dogs and stuff. And I had just planned on basically manning the grill all day and people watching, uh, which I did a lot of that, but then I ended up kind of getting consumed by the day. But I remember I was cooking some hot dogs and we were getting ready and there were a couple people trickling around already and we had just popped the gate and I literally turned Look back up the hill towards the Methodist Church, which, which at that where the Methodist Church was uh, had been, because uh, I think they were constructing it at the time. 
there's like a hundred cars parked. <laughs> I had not seen any of them come, and all of a sudden they're just there, and there's just this wad of people coming off the hill. And in hindsight, I look at them like, well, church had let out, and everybody was coming. Like you know, it was afternoon, mm-hmm. and just the amount of emotion in that moment for me is literally only rivaled by like my wedding and the birth of my children. I mean, that was just too much. I remember standing on that hill getting pictures and it's packed and for some reason so many people are wearing red and blue of course mm-hmm. but from one end of Main Street to the other of course pre-COVID mm-hmm. it's yeah. packed. Yeah. It's packed. Oh it was yeah sardines in a can. I think we had to pull Buddy Thorne out of a building at one point. He was all up inside Probably. of one. I'm surprised. <laughs> I think Beth was pulling him out I'm surprised actually. No, I'm surprised <laughs> nobody chained themselves to anything. But. Uh, but that was a big day. That was one of my favorite days and Man, public service will wear you out, and and that that kind of day right there is the one that fuels you up for a few years. Uh, it's it's not fun, and I know we love to sit at home on social media and throw rocks at whomever you know whatever they're doing and what you did wrong today. But uh, at the end of the day, it's just, most of the time it's folks trying to help. You know, they're trying to make it better, and uh, those are the days that made it worth it. And there weren't a lot of those. I'm going to be honest with you. Well, <laughs> let's move on. So you knocked them down. And then you had to build them back. Yeah. And a quick drive through Main Street today will show that that didn't happen. Yeah. So long-term recovery means long-term, and no one understand that. But Absolutely. why did rebuilding, why has rebuilding taken so long? To I, think there's a, I think there's a multitude of factors there. We had, in, in my years in office, and uh, we had one real good bite downtown guy wanted to build it would have been ended up being three storefronts and uh, we had gone so far as to the city owned most of the property but there was one private property they didn't want a lot of money for it we had already gone to the foundation and uh, i had we had made an arrangement with this this developer like hey would you we'll give you the city's lots to build this and then there's just this one private lot if i can get half of it paid for can you pay for the other half and he said yeah We'd already received the grant. We'd received the check from the foundation. It was in the vault at City Hall, and we were just waiting on everything to settle. This guy ended up getting uh, some opportunities that stretched him a little bit financially, and so he was finishing a project to maybe come back to this one, and he didn't have the money that he needed for this one, and it ended up kind of fizzling out. But in all my years of being down there, and I took meetings, and we had people come down there, and you hear a lot of people talk about the building code in Cordova, and that's what held them back. And I'm like, no, because we we had open conversations with anyone that actually came to have a conversation. Um, part part of it was what what private business wants to invest their money in the real, real estate's expensive. So while, what are you going to invest in? You know, what is the business that belongs to Main Street? We could certainly support another cafe or something, you know, something along those lines. Maybe some kind of general store would work, but you have a Dollar General, you know, across the river here. So what, what's what's the right development? What's the one that works here? Well, then you got to ask yourself, in, in this generation, in this era, where we have an interstate that connects us within a half hour to everything Alabama has to offer in Birmingham, and then the other direction towards Jasper, what are we, 10 to 15 minutes, that has all the restaurants that you could probably want, all the big box retailers you could probably want. You know, what it, What is the development on Main Street? And I don't know the answer to that question. Um, don't forget that before the tornadoes, we had all those buildings. How many of them were occupied by private businesses? Two or three? A salon, maybe? Um, might have still been a screen printing shop down there. There wasn't much. Well, the population's only declined since then. You know, when, when we're really realistic, when we take our emotions of how much we love Cordova out of it, be real with yourself. What what goes there? Do you want to put your money there? You know, that, that's the questions people have to ask themselves. And I think there is 
the old chicken and the egg scenario. You have to build businesses to get people to come move here or, you know, to, to make the city flourish again. Or do you need to go get the people to live here before the, the buildings? And I actually changed my opinion on that in, in my time in office. And I'm, I'm very much a believer in we, we need more population to sustain those businesses to begin with. How many Cordovans right now go to that Piggly Wiggly as their primary grocery shopping? How many of them go to the gas stations as, you know, in Cordova as their primary place to get gas? half we're lucky you know but the so, rebuilding was a lesson learned you oh, thought sure. you were going to build something on main street i thought i was going to save the world i mean uh, that was those were hard learned lessons oh, though yeah. that oh, yeah. to come to the reality of where we really were as a city absolutely um some realities that hurt my feelings i'm going to be honest with you because i absolutely love cordova and i love cordovans and they raised me and uh they're my people and uh they, they hurt my feelings over those years to see at times who we really were and and you know that development's not like oh we'll just elect you know seven people and they'll go make sure that it happens if you don't have buy-in from the bulk of the community on these things and support and i mean financial and otherwise that will happen you know cordova thrived in in the middle of of the last century and it was because everybody was bought into Cordova. They were there. And, you know, we had our pep rallies downtown. And we had businesses that serviced us and a movie theater. And, you know, we had all these things. You're not going to have those in this era, in this generation. So what, what is it that, that we need to sustain a little less than 2,000 people? Well, y- y'all started to answer that question toward the end through recreational opportunities. Control the controllables. And I was just yeah. at, the, um, at the new pond and everything and got some photos. And it's looking really nice. So uh, no. what were some of those investments in recreation that you made? So not just recreation, but as you know, in kind of in the first term, we focused really hard on public service. Uh, we focused really hard on our, on our police department and our, and our fire department and funded them at levels they had never been funded at before uh, to get a return on that. And because that was something we could control. When we started to switch the mindset to, we need more people to live here before we can even think about somebody building businesses. Um, we were like, well, what, what do you, how do you attract the people? You know, let's get crime rate down, which we did. Let's get, um, you know, ISO ratings down so your insurance is cheaper. We did. You know, Dean continues to, to thrive there. And then we're like, well, what's next? What can we control? So you talk about things like a library and a senior center and, and parks and recreation. And uh, parks and recreation was where we were really able to make a dent because we were, we were running parallel to other organizations, specifically uh, the Health Action Partnership of Walker County. Uh, you know, they were putting kayak and canoe launches in across the county, and they called, and I'm like, bring it on. You know, where do you, how many you want to put, we're in. And we ended up, you know, supporting two inside the city limits, and then there's another down at Barney Beach that we were involved in that's not in the city limits, but it was it was in the police jurisdiction, so we were like, we can justify, you know, being involved here too. So uh, we kind of followed, followed their lead. They brought the funding to the table, and we brought the resources. We had the manpower, and, uh, you know, we were clearing land. And, at one point, uh, Jenny, who, who was running the project, she was like, she's like, you know, thank you for just being so involved and so open to these ideas and working with us. And I'm like, you, you literally just showed up on my doorstep and said, I have money to do cool things. And I'm like, what mayor is turning you away? Because they're a moron. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm missing the point here. And then we were able to parlay that, you know, early on in my first, probably midway through my first term, we get a master plan developed for the old cotton mill property. You and I know in our lifetime, it was an overgrown industrial wasteland with kudzu. So you've got 17 acres in the middle of town that looks like garbage. It looked like garbage our whole lives. And I'm like, 
by God, that doesn't need to be the story down here anymore. So we developed the master plan. So to really, you know, go for the moon, which we did at that time, because we were applying for grants everywhere you could. Um, I mean, it'd probably take two and a half million dollars to really like develop that thing the way we wanted to. So we were like, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to have to eat this elephant one bite at a time. And we started kind of picking at it and uh, we were able to get a grant uh, through the Walker Area Community Foundation um, in my last year in office there. And so we were able to do all that clearing, get it just cleared out and grass planted and the pond restored and, you know, dig ditches to move water where you need water to be moved to and things like that. And, and that was only phase one. Um, I, we, we've the city's applied for phase two grants, uh, which for me at the end of phase two makes that entire space usable. It's big, open, green, walking trails, use it as you as you wish. Um, I don't know how many phases we would end up with at the end, but as long as Jeremy lets me keep playing with it, we may get to phase 50 before I'm dead, you know, like just keep adding stuff constantly and applying for these little chips of money as we can. And that continues to be my little passion project uh, post mayoral career. Uh, but th those are the things that we started to focus on. So obviously those things were in the works to mm -hmm. come, but as you say, that project really didn't come about until the last year in terms mm -hmm. of work being done. Mm -hmm. Rebuilding wasn't happening. We did, we should mention, we, you know, you did reopen City Hall and, and yeah, the complex we, and everything. We've got an unrivaled municipal complex there in this county and we did that on purpose. We, we built the best thing we could with, with money that we could get our hands on. and. Uh, we we I thought we ended up um, way ahead in, on the fire department, and, and you know when we were looking at that, one of the things we were focused on was you know we've got a group of twenty to thirty volunteers in Cordova. It's people that just show up because they want to. So a big part of their culture is to be together, to to have a meeting once a week or. or twice a month or whatever it is and, and be together and eat dinner together and they do life together and there's married couples in there and kids and different generations of families and so one of the things as we started to develop this uh, the amount of money that we had available to build a fire station it could get us you know a metal building to park trucks in yeah I mean that, that's really what we could afford and I, and talking with Dean and, and, and our city leaders I was like this isn't that's not enough that doesn't get it for us and so we're fortunate we ended up finding a house that's adjacent to the mill site there and we got a pretty good deal on that from the estate and then we kind of built a metal building on the back of that house um, with all of our funds so we had the trucks parked and we had a house for them to meet in and then we went back to the well and we were able to get grant funding uh, I'm doing a commercial for the Walker Area Community Foundation I have discovered uh, went back to them got grant funding to wrap all that in brick, landscape it, get concrete poured, get that whole facility online. And uh, I was so proud of that project and, and what the finished product for us was. Uh, and then obviously the grocery store we got built with, with the grant funding that Mayor Scott was able to get. So um, we got a few buildings. But in so many ways, it hasn't been buildings, I would argue, that has been the evidence of recovery. It's been specifically things like the trunk or treat. Yeah. So yeah. That was something that, as I understand, the fire department took ownership of, and it was the first time that we were doing anything downtown, and it really surprised them at, at how much it took off. It was massive. That one year, I don't remember, I don't remember the year, but I go downtown. I, Jim, were there a thousand people in downtown that day? I mean, it was unreal how many people were in downtown for this trunk or treat. And that was not something, I guess, necessarily unique to Cordova. There are plenty of communities are doing things like that in churches and little downtown things. But for some reason, 
these guys just hit an absolute home run. We talked earlier about that demolition day when we got to walk on Main Street. That trunk or treat day was another one of those like recharge the fire at just watching these people enjoy this space that we had worked so hard to, to frame up for them. And um, that, that unreal. On that specific trunk or treat because they had some good ones. They had some other good ones in, in years uh, after that, but that one for, for some reason just sits so high in, in my brain. Uh, what, what a home run day that was. And that was all that fire department. You know, we, the city assisted logistically with obviously funding and, you know, going using the SAMS card to get supplies and stuff, but it was them. It was 20 some odd volunteers that just were, they took ownership of it and hit a home run. But that's, that tell you something now, because now the industrial um, and economic authority has kind of taken on these events. They're mm -hmm. going to be doing all these sorts of things mm -hmm. over the and next year. They've put on year. festivals since then. And, mm -hmm. But doesn't that show you that at the end of the day, of course, everybody wants, you know, downtown to be rebuilt and things like that. But don't neglect the fact that there's still a community here Absolutely. that just wants to gather. Absolutely. That just uh, wants to be a community a reason, together. Looking for a reason to. Yeah, absolutely, and that's uh, it's the tough. It's tougher in the age of social media. Uh, negative Nancys are real loud these days, and they're only going to get louder. Um, so it's tough to really measure those benchmarks of, of success. But uh, those moments like that, and those festivals, and you know, they put they they did started the festival in, uh, in what twenty nineteen, and uh, just keeping that movement, the life life downtown, everything we talked about, every meeting we had, and everything we were talking about in recovery was getting life downtown again it doesn't matter if it's a building people people gathering i don't whatever reason you can give them let's get them down here so we i agree with you there there's some there's some signs of progress there so you inherited a recovery that was in progress from a previous administration mm -hmm. then after eight years mm -hmm. you've moved on to other things mm -hmm. and you had to hand off this recovery yeah and at some point the current mayor, Mayor Pate, will have to hand off the recovery. So how is that? How does that feel to be, to know you're part of this process and you can put your stamp on it for your time, mm -hmm. but you have to let it go too. Yeah. You have to let it go to somebody yeah. else. Yes. Um, that, it felt okay because I was ready for it. I had always committed in my internal circle, specifically my wife, my family. It was two terms and I'm out. It's, it's, it runs your life, man. You know, you, if nothing else, you're showing up every second and, and fourth Tuesday to meet. But all the times in between and all the phone calls and email. And, uh, and I told Ashley, I didn't realize I'm, one of my strengths has always been kind of managing stress. And, you know, you can put a million things on me and I'm going to kind of put them in their little compartments and start chipping away at them. I've always done well at that. And I did that uh, in my time with the city. And I actually kind of tricked myself because... A few days after leaving office, when I had really, I unplugged now, I, I had told Jeremy, you know, give me a couple of weeks and let me just not be here. And then after that, let's, you know, have the conversations you need to have, ask me the things you need to ask me and let me plug back in and, and help where I can help. Um, but in those few weeks, just the better sleep and, and the, the restful days and the mind not always wondering and, you know, not being on the phone or text or email with Leanne or, uh, or the, the police chief or dean or whomever. I didn't realize how much was on me. Like it's it's a smaller city, it's a smaller operation. So I really thought it it wasn't just weighing me down like it was, and uh, I was wrong. <laughs> it was it was heavy. It sat heavy on me. So leaving that behind was one thing, but another thing for me was a lot of people would ask leading up, "Oh, you're not running again? Or you know why not? Why not?" I'm like, "Cause you know I came to serve, and, and I, I you know I did my tour of duty, and I'm out. 
you know, I don't mean to be rude, but it's someone else's turn. And it, the question I got from a lot of people within the community was, like, who's going to run? Who's going to do it? Who's going to take your place? You know, and I'm like, I, I know this sounds cold, but that's not my problem. And they would kind of look at me and I'm like, the minute that I make it my problem is the minute that I'm going to worry about it a lot and that I have to sign back up and run because I feel like nobody's going to keep running with it. I said, I have to put faith in whoever's next. It doesn't matter who it is. I have to put faith in whoever's next. And I got fortunate that uh, both both candidates, honestly, that were running, I felt like they were going to embrace the things that we had done well and, and leave them intact and then go attack the things that we weren't very good at. And uh, Jeremy's lived up to that so far, honestly. I really feel like he respects the things that I had positive impacts on. And we talk regularly. And um, like I said, I'm still involved with, with the park project. And he's not afraid to call me and talk about things. And there were some loose ends I left on his desk. And, uh, you know, he'll text me. Like, he's tied some of them up. And I, I told him he was a superhero for one of them because I didn't think he would get it tied up. But um, that that's the key is having that, that transition, that that peaceful transfer of power is a really big deal in democracies and uh, handing the baton over and he's going to do things I wouldn't do. He's going to do things differently than me. He's going to do things I don't like. I ain't going to throw rocks at him. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm happy to have someone in there who cares about Cordova and he's going to do his tour duty and he's going to get beat up and uh, he's, he's going to make some positive impacts and he's going to screw up some stuff just like the rest of us. But wouldn't you think that a recovery needs fresh eyes? Absolutely. Needs Absolutely. Instantly. Let me give you a case in point. Um, so on the way out, one of the things that I did and I'm most proud of is, you know, we adopted a city budget and the city had never had one. And we worked off that budget for six of my eight years. We worked off that budget and we kept refining it and dialing it in. You know, we need to spend this money here and this money here and this money here. And this is the amount of money that's going to come in for the year and this is how it's going to come in. That had never been captured for the city. And so I'm leaving Jeremy with this framework and, and I had the conversation with him. Hey, just because I spent this money here, I don't mean that's what you got to do. I'm just showing you that this is how much came in and this is how I allocated it. So one of the instant things he does, um, we had sold the armory to the Board of Education on the way out and we'd received $90,000 and we were going to buy a tractor for, for the city. And so on the way out, we had a lot of transitional conversations of, you know, him honestly being a really good guy, he was trying to like, he's like, hey man, I'm not trying to step on your toes. Well, I said, I said, buddy, I'm, I'm clocking in and clocking out until my time's up. You 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 start jumping in, you may hurt my feelings. And so um, he talked about the tractor. He's like, hey, I might want to do something different with that. And he's talking about getting a different tractor, uh, used one that was cheap. And he knew more about that stuff than I did. And so he's like, because then if we do this, then I can, I have this much money left over to buy this, this, and this for the city for the public works. Well, one of the things I knew on the way out the door is we needed some more equipment on public works. We had we had really refined where we were spending our money and that was the next big spend I felt. And Jeremy agreed. Well, fortunately for the city of Cordova, he had more experience in that arena. So my strengths of having us in a solid financial situation when he walked in the door and money in the bank to spend, his strengths of getting to be there every day, day in and day out with that public works crew and really understanding their needs and filling their needs and then driving to Montgomery to an auction, you know, and, and looking at this equipment and stuff. And he, I don't know if you've noticed, but he's acquired, I think you did a, you did a photo of some of it. I have a list yeah. on my desk yes. of all the things that he has purchased with are, that money and he's not even finished yet. There's still it. money yes. left over. And so those are the moments where strength and strength met. Like, here's some money, here's this budget that I made for you, here's the understanding of, of where we need to spend it, 
And then he comes in and is like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> bang, 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 bang. And we need more of that, honestly, especially in like municipal government and county level government and small. We try to turn these things into these big political affairs. That's a load of crap. They're not. They're, they're, they're just not. Jeremy's a different mayor than me. He's going to run his meetings different than me. He's going to run the city different. He's going to take it in a different direction than I did. But at the end of the day, why don't we just complement our strengths instead of, you know, just throwing rocks at each other. So, so we're doing this for the anniversary, 10 years. Mm-hmm. And in the time that you were mayor, there was only really one, one ceremony. We don't do big moments of silence. We don't do big yeah. things. So... I guess mostly it just happens on a personal level, but in what way do you think we collectively remember whether or not we have a formal thing that happens? In what way do we always remember and honor what happened 10 years ago? You know, and you you nailed it. We did the five-year anniversary, and we did a lot of ceremony that day and a lot of pomp and circumstance, and it was uh, was timing. Life is timing, and that was a time for us. We had some recovery projects in place. Uh, We had memorialized those that we had lost and some people that had really helped along the way, and we had some things to show, you know, like, hey, these are these are some of the things we've done, and then, you know, this is us remembering what we've lost. And we'd even moved the monument to downtown at that time with permission from families of the victims. And um, it, it was timing. I'm not a big ceremony guy myself. Um, I, I think so many people experience these moments in different ways that to try to put everybody into this one little box of this one little ceremony. You can even see the day that we had. We had like five different ceremonies, doing five different things with five different, you know, groups of people in five different places in the city. And that was on purpose because we all do it a little different, you know, and um, not to knock anybody that does big ceremony and pomp and circumstance, but I just didn't feel like that fit. Uh, And and to this day, I don't feel like it fits. Um, I'm going to wake up on April 27th this year and I'm going to have some feelings and I'm going to have some emotions and I'm probably going to do some things myself but many males feels exactly the way I do and wants to remember that day the way I do. So um, that for me is, it's, it's, it's a very individual affair. It's uh, the passing looks that we give one another that day. We all know, not to say, when I say anything, we know, we all know what we're feeling. So that's me personally, it's my brand. It's, it's, it's kind of how I live and that's what Cordova got for eight years and they'll get something different for the next. For the next if hour. you live through it, you live through it because whenever you're around people that you were around during that time, at some point, you're always going to end up talking about the same old stories. How do you not? That's yeah. what happens. So, uh, well, we hope you guys have enjoyed. Uh, well, maybe not enjoyed is the right word, but it's important to reflect. We wanted to do it this. Is. It's important to honor what this anniversary is, what this day is. It is. So, and, and this is, uh, you know, we just had tornadoes hit Shelby County and through that area. And, and my wife and I were talking. Fortunately, through that particular area, there was no loss of life, but there were 30 homes lost or so. And, and I told Ashley, I said, I don't want to downplay what these people are going to go through and they've got to rebuild their lives. I said, but these are, you're looking at an area of half a million dollar homes, people that have good jobs and stable lives and good insurance. And they're going to come out the other side of this with better equity positions in their home and a new home. And, and they're going to come out of it quickly. Um, I said, that's, that's not Carol's story. Uh, poverty plays a role in where Cordova is now and where any of Walker County would be in the same situation and we don't get to recover quick. Uh, something that that neighborhood in Shelby County can do in a year and a half, we're not going to do it in 30 years, maybe even longer than that. And that that's a big part of our story and in our country as a whole. 
it's, it's a, a big part of it and uh, it's not something that's lost on me it's hard it's a hard situation all the way around mm-hmm. but uh, well we'll be back next week with a guest this was just me and you like old time jammering again but yeah. we'll be back with a guest next week we'll bring you an entertaining one see you then see you guys Left on Red is a DME Media Production. Copyright 2021, Daily Mountain Eagle.